episode of Jews on Film. I'm Daniel Zana, a video editor and podcaster, filmmaker, and a Jew. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Harry. Hi, Harry. Hey, everyone. I am Harry Adamsasser. I, uh, as always, I'm still a Jew. And uh, as every day passes, I get farther and farther away from being a film major, but still about a year ago. So I'll, uh, I'll keep that on my resume. And uh, we are excited this week to be joined by our guest, Emily. So why don't you introduce yourself, Emily? Hey guys, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'm Emily Elhadif. I am a Jew also, and I live in Seattle. I am a writer, editor, a sort of Jewish journalist that can't get out of the industry. And I'm excited to be here to talk about our film. Absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, Harry teased a little bit, we are talking today about Dirty Dancing starring Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze. Emily, before we get too deep into the film, I kind of wanted to talk to you going back a little bit. Growing up, what was sort of your background with Jewish film? What is Jewish film mean to you growing up? You know, that's such a hard and interesting question. I sort of want to throw it back to you. Like, what is Jewish film? I'll just say that I grew up in a uh, not super religious environment. I was part of a reform community. I was like the token Jew in my class. And so I did not really think about films in terms of my Jewishness. But my Jewishness was very strong growing up because of that sense of isolation and marginalization um, and trying to fit in. So I'm kind of curious to hear from you guys what you think of what makes a Jewish film. Oh, I mean, that's the mystery of the podcast. Answer a question with a question. It's a very Jewish podcast. Totally. That's like, that's the way to do it. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, people have given answers, you know, like, you know, I was raised on Holocaust movies or Mel Brooks or... Mm you know, uh, 10 commandments, things like that. Fiddler on the roof, a lot of stuff that like, I have to admit part of the Jewish canon. I have not seen a lot of that stuff I had not seen growing up. And so it kind of differs for everyone. And the there's no wrong answer to that question for sure. I will say there were two films in my house growing up and I don't think they were, I don't think that my parents loved them. I'm from an interfaith house too. So I don't think my parents loved these films because they were Jewish, but one was Blazing Saddles, which you did a podcast on. And the other was, um, Young Frankenstein, mm -hmm. which is uh, a very Jewish movie as well. And I haven't seen it a long time, so I'm afraid to talk about it, but it's it's amazing. And so those two very Jewish films uh, were part of my life. And I think like if I had to trace my Jewish film moment to one time, it would have been like junior or senior year of high school when my sociology class where we basically did nothing the teacher decided to show Schindler's List. And I was like, no, I am not watching this with like the rest of the 11th graders. I'm the only Jew in the room. It's really awkward. I feel like there's just too much going on here. And so I rented it and watched it on my own, like all whatever, four hours of it. And just wanted to process that by myself. And so that sense of Jewishness really wasn't present in like our cultural, like we did the holidays and we had a very Jewish, like we actually did Shabbat dinners almost every Friday night. I was very active in my temple. So we had a lot of Jewish culture in my home. But as far as pop culture went, it was really sort of uh, peripheral, like, oh, that actor is a Jew. Oh, that's a very Jewish thing. But it wasn't like, oh, let's give you this Jewish culture so you appreciate it. Makes yeah. Sense. And I think, you know, going to your question, you know, that you kind of threw back at us, just what does it mean for a film to be Jewish? I think 
the obvious answer is definitely, you know, the Mel Brooks films, the Schindler's List, the things that just like sort of scream Jewishness. But one of the things that I think we've started to do on this podcast is pull out some films that, you know, aren't necessarily Jewish and kind of view them through a Jewish lens. And, you know, often we'll find a movie that either has a little bit of Jewishness under its core or some, you know, Jewish actors involved. But I think watching not any movie, but a lot of movies through a Jewish lens can create a sort of Jewish film experience. And I think that's a good way to kind of transition into the film we're talking about this week, Dirty Dancing, because, you know, that's a film that is certainly a Jewish movie, I would say definitely has Jewish characters, but isn't always so explicit with it. And I want to hear from you, Emily, uh, why you chose this movie to discuss this week, because this was one that you had suggested to us. So what was it about Dirty Dancing that made you think of this film for our Jews on Film podcast. Where do I start? It was funny because when you guys asked me to join the show and you mentioned like a couple of movies and I was like, oh, well, I'm going to talk about Dirty Dancing. (laughs) And Daniel was like, I didn't peg that as a Jewish film. And I was like, what? I think I even responded in like all caps. Like, what? You know, how dare you? So (laughs) (laughs) Dirty Dancing is like the most Jewish film of all time, but it's not. And so two things. One is that this is a film that women of a certain age, maybe, maybe a wider age range than I even know, but like girls who grew up in the eighties and nineties, most of us love this movie. Mm -hmm. So this is a very female coming of age movie. It's a very female coming, coming of age experience that we really, for some reason related to, but it's also the, the later when I first watched the first 150 times, let's say I didn't notice anything Jewish about it, even though I was Jewish and had a strong relationship to my Judaism, I never really saw the movie as Jewish at all until I was older. And then, you know, there, once in a while, you'll see like an article on like, Hey, Alma or the four that's like, why such and such is the most Jewish movie of all time. And usually it's absurd. It's like, why Harry Potter's most Jewish film of all time. And it's like, no, like that's a stretch, but dirty dancing really is at heart, a Jewish film. And even the writer, Eleanor Bergstein, it's based on her own experiences going to the Catskills, going to these summer resorts when she was a kid and dancing with these professional dancers that were hired by the camp. And, and she, she's a Jewish woman and she, she herself admits that it's a very Jewish film. And I think if the screenwriter herself says it's a Jewish film, like we can go, we can go with something here. Like it's not a total stretch. I think before we get too into it, I do want to hear from IMDb summary correspondent, Harry Ottensaucer. For those who are new to the podcast, Harry uh, reads us the IMDb synopsis of the film before we dive right in. All right. So uh, I, I pulled two from IMDb this time. One is about 10 to 12 sentences long and probably gives away too much. And the one that I'm going to go with, because we don't need to spend the next five minutes of this podcast going through the summary, is just a one sentence quick one. So we're going to have to do the work of explaining some more of the movie as we go through it. But uh, I'll give the quick summary just to get us started. So it reads, spending the summer at a Catskills resort with her family, Francis Baby Houseman falls in love with the camp's dance instructor, Johnny Castle. Wow. What a summary. Thank you, Harry. Wow, that's deep. Yeah, that's, that's the movie. We could, we could stop here. I think yeah. we got it. Well, before we get too far and have the time of our lives, why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back to get into the film Dirty Dancing. Welcome back to Jews on Film. We're here with Emily Alhadif. And as always, we're joined with Harry. Uh, we're here to discuss Dirty Dancing. So let's get into it. Where to start? We're in upstate New York. 
but it was actually filmed, I believe, in Virginia. I read some uh, some Wikipedia notes. They had like other shooting locations, but the but the idea is that I think we start in the car. Is that right? And baby is in the car with her family, and she's going with her sister to the uh, resort. I believe it's called Kellerman's. I don't understand why they're treated so specially when they get there. Like they pull up to the resort, and Mr. Kellerman, the owner of the of the resort, you know, rushes to their to their aid and helps them out. But I couldn't it's quite because exactly. uh, baby's father uh, is doc- Dr. Hausman had saved Max Kellerman's life. Um, oh, okay. And he says, "If it weren't your for your father, I'd be standing here dead." Oh, uh, so right, right, right. he's praising them for, for being this really excellent doctor. Yeah. See, this is why it pays to have you on the podcast. You get all the details. Like, I, <laughs> I see it once and I already forget. Like, <laughs> the, <laughs> You the didn't origin. spend like 25 years of your life watching this over and over again. So you're right. forgiven. It helps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I'll say I noticed after watching kind of through the end of the movie, it was something that I was waiting for the whole time, but never really shows up is... I think like them even using the word Jewish or Jews. I like as much as this is such a clearly Jewish movie and we'll go through obviously where that is like they just never actually say explicitly that anything is Jewish. So one of the scenes that I remember in the beginning, you know, that like I was looking for like the hints towards it. So, you know, one of the characters who's kind of like welcoming everyone to the camp says, you know, like, you know, there's baseball for all you Sandy Koufaxes. Mm. And it's like, you know, if you know, you know, so like close. that's, you know, right. the famous, exactly the Jewish baseball player and he's talking Jewish and they talk about schlepping things. And, you know, right. there's hints that I'm sure I'll point out throughout the rest of the movie, but like, you know, they get there. There's no like, welcome to, you know, your fellow Jews. Welcome to, right. you know, this Jewish retreat. It's just, you know, we're going to a summer camp or whatever the vibe is. I wonder like if we take a step back, like I wonder why that decision was made to like be so explicitly undercover Jewish as opposed to like, say the word Jewish or this, like you were mentioning, like, do you think it's just to appeal to a broader audience and not have it be so over the head with the Jewishness? You never know what goes on through the process of screenwriting. And and the writer wrote this originally and nobody would buy it. And it like mm. languished in Hollywood for a decade. Right. So who knows, you know, in the process of trying to change it, what happened. But I suspect that it's very true to her own experience, which mm-hmm. wasn't an overt Jewish experience. Right. This was the 1960s where Jews were, it was like the prime of assimilation. Jews were really becoming integrated into American culture. And when I think about it, Baby, the main character, is a little older than my parents' age in this movie. So Mm -hmm. when I think about my parents and their memories and, and my cousins and relatives of this time, it's like their whole lives were Jewish, but they were also just not. Like Mm -hmm. they were living these very integrated, assimilated lives. They were going to public school. They, my mom wanted to go uh, join the Peace Corps, just like Baby wanted to do. Mm, right, right, right. Like, people, this was the world that they were in. And that sort of sense of like, yeah, let's have a nosh. And, uh, you know, that, that right. nostalgia didn't need to be there because it was like already so much a part of their lives, I think. That's my that's my guess. Sure. I, I think that totally makes sense. Can we talk about Baby's name? I feel like, you know, the beginning, she's a baby. Towards the end, the famous line. Nobody puts baby in a corner. She's still baby. I, I mean, I think the obvious to me the, is this just like she's this young person who's so innocent and she's like a daddy's girl kind of. But yeah, I'm just curious to hear any thoughts on that, you know? Yeah, that's funny because I actually was just thinking about the name like half an hour before we started the show. And I, I had some thoughts I'd never actually had before about it. But 
first, I want to say that this is such a quintessential coming of age story. She starts out in the car. She's being transported. She's in the back seat. She's talking. There's like this, the only time in the movie that there's an, a voiceover narrative where mm-hmm. she's like, I think it was before Kennedy got shot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all For I wanted to do was save the world. Yeah. Like mm. all I wanted to do was to sort of save the world. And this little bubble of summer completely changes. It opens her mind and it, and and she goes over probably just a few week period becoming this this totally different person. And, and I want to talk more about that person that she does become. Yeah. Um, and the challenges that I think it presents for like the Jewish narrative. Mm-hmm. But at the very end, the only time we hear her name is when after nobody puts baby in a corner. Um, that's like the famous line that I think is the least important line of the whole film, mm. at least less important yeah. than I carried a watermelon. But sure. um, <laughs> um, when Johnny brings her up on stage to dance and finally they sort of come out of the closet with their relationship in a way to the entire right. resort, he says, this is Francis. You know, her mm. name's not baby. It's Francis. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of gives her the name. And I was thinking, no, I'm going to totally overextend a metaphor Stretches. here. That's and what we do on the podcast. Don't, That's like, our specialty. Yeah. <laughs> As an, a former English major, I do this a lot. Like, do not like take this seriously. It's sort of a stupid idea. But I had this thought that um, it's sort of like in, in Jewish tradition, we don't name children right away Mm -hmm. the boys wait eight days before they get their name girls usually the first shabbat they get their name and this and and before that they're just baby or like you know whatever like you know whatever you want to call them right right and she for this whole movie is just baby and then in the last scene this guy announces her name it's not even hinted at that she has a name Her, her parents like even her when her parents get upset with her they're not like francis you know, yeah. Joan, come here. They're like, baby, you know, yeah. she's always baby. Wow. Um, and that obviously also signifies the the perspective that everyone has of her, mm-hmm. that she is the baby of the family. She's the younger sister. She's got big, fancy dreams of saving the world. Like her mother sort of berates her at the dinner table one night. Where she's like, can we box up these leftovers and send them to Eastern Europe or whatever, right. like wherever they're having a yeah. famine now. And right. Baby's like, oh, it's, you know, I forgot what she says, but she names like a different country. It's like, you right. know, your mom, like, that's not, but even still, you're not going to send your leftovers over there. Like, that's such a patronizing thing to say to your kid. Like, oh, she's got her big fancy dreams. Let's send the leftovers to right, Ethiopia, right, right. you know? But even Johnny sees her as a baby. Everybody, even Penny, I guess maybe her foil in the movie in a certain mm, way. Yeah. Penny and Johnny are, they're not a couple, but they're like the couple in a way. Sure. And I think it's after, well, we could talk about some of the big moments in, in the film in a bit, but Penny says to baby, just go back to your playpen, mm. baby, because baby doesn't have any life experience. Here she is like throwing in the ring with these people who have- right real problems problems that nice jewish girls are not supposed to have right and everybody throughout the movie sort of like thinks that she's not enough or kind of comp in a complimentary sense she's not enough but also her ideas about the world are so big they're just childish like johnny says to her you think everybody's so great but they're not like look i'm dealing with these people they're jerks he doesn't say it literally, but you know, he's got that whole kind of speech where he's like, you know, you just think the world is so rosy and you can fix it, miss fix it. You can fix everything. You can't fix this. I'm, I've been fired. Sorry. Spoiler. Everybody who hasn't seen this movie (laughs) 35,000 times. Like I have, but like, 
No, <laughs> you like I just got fired and you think you can fix it and you can't. Okay. Right. And so she's really kind of put in her place so many times. I mean, I think the whole question of her agency is really interesting too. Like it kind of bothers me that like it's the man who eventually gives her the name. But at the same right. time, she's yeah. really taken her life into her hands as well. She has made a lot of decisions. She's oh, not a passive. She's not a passive protagonist. Totally. Um, even though at the end, you know, you could say like, it is sort of a you know knight in shining shining armor. Ah, kind of. Moment. I don't know. I don't think. I don't actually believe right. that. But you could kind of see it that way. Holds her up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he holds her up. Right. I mean, gosh, like how symbolic. <laughs> He's like her a trophy. Though, you know what I mean? <laughs> I agree with you know almost all the points you were just making there. I think that. There's definitely, you know, an obvious route of like, you know, naming your character baby. It's very clearly infantilizing your character, giving them the growth. And I forgot yeah. about that moment where he names her Francis sort of at the end. And of yeah. course, it's this coming into herself. It's everything you were saying. It's learning that she can disagree with her father, that there's more practical ways that some people don't have the privilege that she grew up with and, you know, have mm -hmm. to suffer the consequences. Like all of her learning can be shaped through this, you know, this growth of going from a baby, you know, a literal baby to becoming an actual person. Yeah. But I definitely want to follow up on your Jewish lens because, you know, stretch or not, like, you know, let's make it a little yeah. more Jewish. I think you're totally right there that, you know, babies are referred to as, I mean, literally like the Hebrew for baby, Tinoch, right? So a baby that hasn't been named yet, it's literally mm -hmm. Tinoch, son of, you know, whatever their parents' names are. Right. And I think that there's also a big Jewish concept of people even later in life getting their name changed and that signifying them sort of like finding themselves- a rebirth, yeah. charting a new destiny. You know, you have characters like, you know, Abraham and, and Sarah and like just all these characters throughout like the Torah that they just get a different name and that kind of signifies their new journey. So using the name to this effect in the film, I think is really effective. So the Torah yeah. of Dirty Dancing here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> absolutely. It's there. It's absolutely there. You said it, the screenwriter said it herself. One thing I think the film does very early on, we have like the difference in the separation between the Jews and the non-Jews, right? And and part of the way that they frame that is sort of the guests and the help. And so early on in the film, I think maybe like 10 minutes in, Mr. Kellerman is like lecturing all the all the different waiters and the staff. And then that's when we first see Johnny Castle come in and he gets lectured. He gets a bit of a tongue lashing. I think Johnny has some sort of line where he says, put your pickle on the table and leave the hard stuff to me. Like he's talking about the, you know, he's like dressing down one of the waiters because he's like the cool guy. He walks in with his like leather jacket over his shoulders and she's like, whoa, okay. Baby sees him, I think. And yeah, I, I think it's very interesting because that sort of duality helps set up the dynamic in terms of baby being this person who's like a Peace Corps person going to help out those who are underprivileged or who need help. And so as the film progresses, as we sort of get introduced to the idea of who Johnny is and, and what he does, essentially what Johnny Castle and Penny do is they are the uh, dance people. So, you know, in, when we have line dancing, we have all sorts of events going on at the hotel. And so they come in and they're sort of the ringers who really know how to dance and they get the vibes going so that other people can kind of feel inspired and dance as well. And so they, that is when baby sees Johnny and Penny first do their dirty dancing. Uh, although it's not so dirty initially, I think the, the real scene, you know, when we first see them is when she, she goes into that room uh, you know, kind of alluded to a little bit, uh, Emily, about the watermelon is, you know, after sort of one night of, of of boring activity, she follows someone who's getting some watermelons and 
she helps him bring it upstairs and sort of that's where the door opens and the red lights bathe her face and bathe all these bodies that are there. Sort of an allusion to sort of sin, I think. And that's where she first sort of sees the dirty dancing going on. And that is exclusively the help and the people who are working at the resort doing their titular dirty dancing. I, I want to jump in on, on some of the duality you were talking about, because I think there's the obvious sort of cultural differences because there's, you know, like the help and a lot of the Jewish characters are a little bit more culturally conservative. They're doing this, you know, even at the end of the film, they talk about how this whole concept of like going up to the Catskills is in, it's sort of like a dying, you know, it's like a dying, right, breed. Like, right, right, right. you know, Mr. Kellerman's like, I don't even know how much longer this is going on. And it's built around this like conservative idea of like the sort of culture politics. And I think there's definitely, you know, the, the quote unquote dirty dancing is very radical for the time and very mm -hmm. aggressive. And I think that really is there, but what I think is interesting about, you know, even before then, even before you talk about the sort of cultural duality going on, like there exists this sort of divide between, you know, the Jewish characters and the non-Jewish characters from the perspective of baby's father, because, you know, he's kind of bringing her with this, you know, she's of a certain age, he wants to marry her off, finds, you know, like a suitable partner. And there's this like, won't even consider any of like, don't spend time with these non-Jewish characters because your goal here is to meet, you know, one of the waiters or one of these, you know, upstanding Jewish future lawyers, future doctors. Right. And I want you to like find your future with them. And it's almost like whether their dancing was clean or dirty, like they didn't even, they couldn't even get to that point because there's this Jewish anxiety, I think, for a lot of these characters going in about assimilation, like we were talking about before, right. about, you know, intermarriage and, you know, even just sort of association with anyone not like them. And I know I'm jumping ahead, but you know, there's that famous line where baby goes to their father. You told me everyone was alike and deserved a fair break. But you meant everyone who was like you. I just think that that duality, you know, the biggest line the film has to break, and especially through our Jewish lens, is not necessarily how can these conservative people learn to like dirty dancing, but also how can they open themselves up to people that aren't necessarily like them, that aren't you know, Jewish and of the same school of thought as them. Yeah, there is so much there. And those are such great points. I always think of the scene where baby is set up with Neil. Mm -hmm. So there's Neil two Kellerman, characters, yeah. there's Robbie and there's Neil and Robbie's kind of, and Robbie really actually sort of acts as that fulcrum in the story of like the good guy who's actually the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Right. Even, even a Jewish character, you know, right. can be as bad as he is. Yeah. Yeah. And his name was, uh, he, he's, he's not alive anymore, but his name was Max Cantor and he's a real Jewish guy. He's standing there reading Ayn Rand and being like, just give it back to me. I have notes in the margins. Oh, yeah. Like everybody uh. knows that <laughs> that jerk, you know, Yeah. just like the kind of pompous, you know, the self-righteous guy who thinks he's better than everyone. And that's very true in this movie. He does end up being the antagonist and sort of flipping the narrative because he's not, he's set up and even uh, baby's father gives him a check for medical school. And then when he finds out that Robbie's not who he thinks he was, he r rips the check back out of his hands. Good luck in medical school, sir. And I wanted to thank you for your help with the penny situation. Because we've all gotten into messes like these. What? I thought Baby told you. Look, I'm not sure. I mean, Penny said so, but you know with girls like that, they're liable to pin it at any guy around. But Baby's, uh, she's sort of set up on this awkward date. Like Neil sort of takes her around the grounds and mm -hmm. and he says like this corny line, like, I love the way your hair looks blowing in the breeze or something like that. And I always think there's, there's something there. I don't want to sort of generalize, you know, the Jewish female experience whatsoever. But I think there is this sense of like, I want to do 
the right thing by my parents. Right. I know what the right thing is. I know who the good guys are. And what I really want is this like mysterious, sexy guy who's not going to kind of hold me back from, you know, with all these traditional and conservative things that I came from. That guy is not necessarily the better one for you in the end, though. And this is funny. Because I often think like, what would have happened? You know, what happens in like part two of Dirty Dancing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. sure. like, like Dirty Dancing, you know, the 30 year reunion and, jo- and Johnny and baby, like, are they together? You know, have they been divorced for 25 years? And, you know, <laughs> right. So, but that really is so much of what this is about. Like this kind of like the nerdy. And I, I, I really feel like I sort of went through this when I was trying to find, you know, my future spouse, you know, kind of dating and being like, gosh, you're such a nice Jewish guy, but you just don't excite me at all. Sure. And I was looking for for something. I, I think it's it's a little silly to, to talk about it in terms of like baby and Johnny, but like, I think girls are often looking for something, you know, a little more exciting. You were alluding before, Emily, to Robbie, Mr. Ayn Rand reading Robbie, who is a med school student or about to go to med school. But something that happens that we don't, you know, that, like you said, so it sort of sets the story off is that Johnny's dance partner, Penny, who we discover are not actually a couple, although they like dance very dirty. They're just a couple. They've been friends forever. Penny is actually pregnant. And we don't find out till later that it's actually Robbie who got her pregnant. And so she needs to get an abortion. So baby takes it upon herself a true like selfless individual, which I think I'll touch on later, um, her selflessness throughout the film. So she basically wants to not only help Penny get an abortion by getting money from her dad, but she also decides that she's going to be taking the place of experienced dancer Penny. And so she has maybe a week or something like that to get lessons from Johnny to learn how to dance the way that Penny dances and then fill in for her she has a mambo demonstration at the Sheldrake Resort. And so that is sort of when all the montages start, all the great scenes. The clothes start to come off more and more as, as we progress. You know, she's dressing very conservatively and more modestly. And as the montage continues, you know, at some point she's just wearing like underwear and he's shirtless. It just gets more and more provocative and more sweaty as this, the movie goes on. But now the sort of plot is really starting to go and and we have our, our reason for the film and uh, now the training begins. Yeah. There are so many of those reversals that happen. Like when they're at the Sheldrake, she sees that, that old couple um, and they drop a ton of wallets on the ground. Oh, right. And later when someone's like, my wallet got stolen and she's like, well, I saw it with a bunch of wallets, the Sheldrake. And then of course she's like kind of outed herself as being at the Sheldrake. Like, why was she there? But, and then they're like, don't accuse an innocent old couple of stealing. And so it's like these people who are supposed to be like the heroes end right. up getting shown to be the not so good ones. I definitely think that's, you know, very clearly, I don't think I'm bringing anything new to the film by saying that's a big theme of the movie. And it's, you know, baby's father learning to, you know, not judge everyone by how they are, but I wanted to work in, I, this felt like a good opportunity to work in another biblical illusion slash stretch because uh, we should really make our own section for these stretches because totally. they're, <laughs> they're so fun and I love working them in. But I was trying to think, you know, where's their, their Jewish precedent for a sort of like, you know, in a biblical story of a non-Jewish character kind of like coming into the, a, you know, a Jewish family's life and kind of teaching them. And, you know, my mind instantly went to the character of Ruth you know, and like one of the most famous Jewish converts. And, you know, obviously we don't know if Johnny is going to eventually convert when you were talking about, (laughs) you know, what's the sequel look like? Maybe he's converted and a practicing conservative Jew. Who knows? (laughs) But she's definitely a character that 
She's the lover of, of sort of like this, of one of the, well, it starts out as one of the, you know, brothers in this family. And eventually she ends up getting kind of whatever, being, being connected to a couple of them. But she takes this family that is a little bit rotten and has these, you know, false ideas about, you know, responsibility and family and like what it means to a good person and kind of teaches them to look inwards. And, you know, the, her mother-in-law, Root's mother-in-law ultimately becomes the person that she kind of, you know, like that, that learns from Root and I guess just reforms her, her ways a little bit. And, you know, without getting too specific, I think, you know, the way that Johnny's character teaches her father, you know, his quote unquote father-in-law, mm-hmm. you know, how to judge people differently and how right. to look at people differently. And I think one of the biggest lines at the end of the film is when he says, I know you weren't the one who got plenty of trouble. wrong I say I'm wrong it is like sort of big apology to Johnny it's just like again a little bit of a stretch but I definitely think that there's something here about sometimes you know when you're in a little bit of an insulated community when you're on this you know summer program surrounded by all these other Jews it it takes learning the perspective from someone else that you might have otherwise you know cast aside to see oh maybe I've been thinking about this differently and that I think is is one of the big things that the movie's trying to do whether or not it's intentionally alluding to root the way that I'm gonna say that it is (laughs) Yeah, well, totally. There's, there's also just one other aspect of this that's really, I think, critical, which is this time period and the, the the way that Judaism eventually evolves. Like I talk a lot about how American Judaism is really its own religion, and it's very much shaped by American values of inclusion and universalism. And this is really a movie. Like if you want to talk about the Jewish values of dirty dancing, which we definitely do. There's so many of these these things that you can pick up and be like, oh, that's so Jewish. Oh, that's so Jewish. For me, the the fact that they're in this moment of assimilation, but also in this moment of Amer- of Judaism in America becoming something beyond practice and culture, but actually much more about universalism. And what Baby's doing is sort of like saying, this sounds a little corny, but she's like, you taught me about Tikkun Olam and now I'm living it. Like right. you told me that people are good. Yeah. Well, this guy's good. So what gives, you know, you live your Jewish values, like walk the walk, talk the talk. And I think that in a way, that's what that's very much the what what American Jews have come to identify as we could kind of dive into like the challenges around that. But just for now, for the sake of this conversation, I think that's very much an American Jewish experience of like this religion is about finding the good in people and being or going, being a light to the nations. And that's what I'm doing. And this is the person I love as a result. And you told me that I could, that I could do that. And now I'm doing it. And she does say she has, they have that big speech with a, you know, on the porch and it's like misty. And she's like that point you referred to earlier. And she says, there are a lot of things about me that aren't what you thought. But if you love me, you have to love all the things about me. And he's, he sort of gets a little teary. He's got, he's got a sunglasses up, but he looks a little teary. I think, you know, she really kind of sticks it to her father and is able to, I think, break through to him in that moment. Like, I'm living the values you gave me. You are a good man. And you taught me to live like this. And I'm living like this. So, you know, what are you going to say to me? So she learns how to dance. Baby learns how to dance. And she is picking up the moves. And she... You know, I love the scenes. Like I said, you know, they get more provocative. She gets better at it. She starts out with like two left feet. And I love the scene where like Penny is grabbing her hips and guiding her along. And she's like stepping on his toes and they use a little bit of humor and kind of recurring gags and things like that. And eventually she gets to the point where she's like really good. And, you know, she has this performance. Um, Another thing, you know, that happens is Baby is able to 
Uh, once Penny has her abortion, she has some complications. So she then runs to her dad in the middle of the night and grabs him and gets him. And he picks up his bag without any question. He's like, yeah, if baby's waking me up at like three in the morning, I'm going to not ask any questions and just go. And so he goes and he takes care of Penny. I think he kicks everyone out, including Johnny. He assumes that Johnny did this. But then we find out, like I said, that it was Robbie. You know, once again, dad comes to the rescue. I have some thoughts on that we could definitely touch on. But uh, just to kind of breeze through the plot after everything kind of works out with Penny and she feels okay. And Johnny and baby have their grand finale performance at the Sheldrake. She manages to have an awesome performance. I love there was that one moment where they were like about to do the jump and she kind of like, she stumbled <laughs> a little hitchhiker. bit. So she kind of just like, yeah, she like played it off a little bit. I thought that was really good. Johnny comes down into the audience, runs up and down the aisle. Everyone's very excited at that point. Uh, they've been practicing this move where, you know, baby is lifted up and sort of arms outstretched and Johnny catches her and they succeed in, I think that's just how the movie ends, which is kind of a weird choice. Mm-hmm. Like there's no sort of like closing sort of. Denouement. Yeah, like everyone's packing up their bags and everything like that. It just ends on like a freeze frame of, of yeah. Baby in the air. I wanted to talk, you know, what does it mean that, that Baby has sort of picked up this skill, this dirty dancing skill? Like what what is the deeper meaning of of that, of, of her ability Ooh. to learn how to dirty dance and, and to kind of become a, a big person who's now Francis? I mean, it, it's going back to the point you made earlier, Emily, about how you know, this is talking about, you know, these like, like a Jewish culture, a Jewish American culture that was kind of learning how to integrate itself a little bit more and kind of maintain, you know, and I, I think I'm adding this, but like maintain its Jewish values and like integrate them, you know, with a sort of American culture. Because I think, you know, the big moment in that scene is not just baby learning how to do or baby who's now Francis learning how to, you know, become this dirty dancer, but it's, it's the entire arena turning into this group of, you know, everyone comes out and dances together and everyone's kind of leaning into this a little bit more. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier in the conversation, but one of the comments made by Mr. Kellerman in the scene, like kind of right before the big dance is that, you know, he's like, oh, like, this is it, you know, people, I don't know how many more years we're going to do this. This is kind of ending. And I think the entire movie is kind of positioning this big finale as this, transition away from you know because effectively what what the Catskills you know what that culture and I don't know you know much about it but what it seems like it's you know a lot of Jews kind of going into this almost like Jewish island you know you're surrounding yourself with Jews the only non-Jewish people there are the you know the dancing staff kind of thing and it's a way of like maybe we don't need to isolate in the same way and kind of live in these bubbles maybe we can kind of jump back kind of you know whatever like integrate better and and the one last point i'll make is that what's so interesting about this movie is that obviously it's a period piece it's a movie centering on the 60s that came out in the 80s so it's clearly (laughs) this sort of nostalgic look back and i think it's marking this time as you know this past generation kind of marked that transition where we can both dirty dance you know and celebrate with our jewish friends so i don't know a ton about the history of the cat skills but it's important to remember that Jews were not allowed into country clubs um, for a long time, even in here in Seattle. Jews created their own spaces before this sort of like cultural redlining ended and the quotas ended and Jews were completely and, and other minorities were completely welcomed into the majority spaces. And so in a way, it's like, so I don't think of the dancing as being super deep, but more of just sort of a catalyst for showing how she finds her voice. She finds her feet, but she finds her voice like that's what a coming of age story is. It's sort of finding out who you are. And so 
is, you know, again, like, is the sequel about how she becomes a great dancer? You know, she and Johnny get married and have two kids and they live in New York City and she's teaching at Juilliard. No, like, actually, you know, probably, I, I mean, if I had to, like, guess, probably not. But that's really just a, a tool to show how she comes of age. But it's also kind of this coming of age for an entire culture. Like, Jews were excluded. And the thing about exclusion is that it's bad. It's marginalizing. You have fewer rights usually, but you also sometimes have a stronger community because you have to kind of work it out with yourselves. And so you go and you create this space for yourself with your own people. You know, the shtetl, like we look very nostalgically at this time of the shtetl. The shtetl was probably horrible. Like when you think about the sanitary conditions and like women dying in childbirth and just like the poverty and the inability to kind of move out and move up in the world. But at the same time, it's a very nostalgic time that we look at because people were together. Like it was, they, they got together at their tables. They had meals. They just had each other. They had nothing else. There were no other options. They couldn't leave. I mean, Fiddler on the Roof is very much uh, like kind of the dirty dancing with Shalom Aleichem. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like this is about a woman who wants to leave the village. This is, this is, this is exactly yeah. the same story. The dancing is really her way of, of finding herself, but it's also the, the time period of that it's ending because the world is changing. You know, the Beatles are about to take off. Martin Luther King is about to become this iconic figure and change and change American history. JFK is going to change American history. Jewish isolation and, and insularity is, is really about to end. So it's not just about this one individual looking at herself and saying, how do I want to live in the world? And how am I going to shed my identity? It's not so much like Fiddler in that way. Not, right. It's not like Fiddler in any way, but like in, this, in that kind of thematic sense. Um, it's not that I want to shed my identity because my family is holding me back and, and my culture is backwards and regressive and everybody sucks and I want to go marry the, the, the Russian soldier. Um, but, but I, you know, I want to break out of this and, and guess what? We're all kind of leaving anyway. Like this is the last summer. And that's also this wonderful yeah. theme about dirty dancing is that summer of love. And I think a lot of people really, I know I always wanted a summer of love. I'm still waiting for my summer of love. So like, I really like, I think maybe summer camp is really special in that way. I never went to camp, but like um, my family went on a, on a vacation every summer to Maine, which my mom went to the Catskills as a kid. And they, by the time she was uh, like 12, they'd already kind of left that culture. So mm -hmm. by the mid sixties, by, by 1960 or so, they had already moved on. We still had like this very quaint, like we stayed in a cabin, we went to the beach, we just like sat, you know, we, we didn't really do anything. It was very family oriented. And there was something so romantic, like, oh, like, you know, this, this dream, I think a lot of girls have of like meeting that. And I think boys have this dream too. Maybe you don't want to admit it, but like, you want to meet that person on the beach who like, you know, it's your first kiss and like the world opens up and you meet someone who's not from your, you know, your, your seventh grade class or your bar mitzvah class and, or that your parents didn't introduce you to it's your own thing and it's warm. And there's this whole kind of like really nice, like vibe going on and that sense of summer being um, temporary. So it's like, I can open up here and this doesn't have to be my entire life. So in a lot of ways, I don't think yeah. when I think of baby, you know, going on past that summer, I, I don't think of her of like, you know, dropping all of her dreams to go like, you know, marry this, this dancer who's just sure. trying to make ends meet. Uh, totally. But rather that he is sort of the device and that experience of the dancing is all about her self, uh, self-revelation and her 
becoming a woman. I wanted to talk about like you just mentioned something that made me think about you said temporary, you know, the temporary experience of the summer camp and like the idea that, that that Penny could be pregnant and this could be more of a permanent thing as opposed to like a temporary thing. One of the ways that I feel like the film is talked about in terms of its critical reception was that its depiction of like abortion in terms of how it was sort of respectfully and uh, honestly portrayed in the film. And as opposed to, you know, I, I feel like at that time, you know, it was, I, I don't, I'm not sure, like none of the films that we've touched on so far have t- had talked about abortion and especially not in this way, but I'm curious, uh, you know, your thoughts on that. Kind of a funny story was that it took me like 10 years before I even realized that she'd had an abortion. I was really sheltered. I came across this movie when like an older cousin played the soundtrack for me when I was like nine years old. I saw that it was going to be coming on TV and I asked my mom to record it for me. I was like maybe nine or 10 years old. And she was hesitant, like, oh, you know, this is kind of a grown up movie. So she recorded it, but she hit stop on the VCR at that moment. (laughs) Not during the abortion, actually, but the this like really light kind of sex scene that that baby and Johnny have, even though like compared to today's movies, like it's it's nothing. It's like so tame and, and like actually really well done. But she hit like stop. And like so we would watch this VCR, this old videotape for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. And it would always go and go into to um, static for like right. a second. And then it, it would be the next morning. And you're like, I don't know. Like for years, I had no idea what happened when she hit stop. Just that's to show you like sort of how much I really didn't understand and how much I was really, I think for my for a long time, just reacting to this movie very viscerally and like from a romantic point of view. It wasn't till I was like much older that I was like, I didn't even know what really abortion was, I think. And I was like, I just took everything at face value. Like he came with a rusty knife and a folding table. It was awful, Johnny, help. And right. like, I was like, something happened. Like, I don't know. Some doctor did something to this poor lady. So that's my own my own relationship to that. But that was way before it was legal. And so that was really like, obviously, this is in the when it, by the time it was made in the 80s, this you could obviously talk about this openly. But to show that happening in the 1960s also just sort of sets like, you know, kind of the lowest point, like, I guess, also from like, maybe the perspective of the Hausmans, like, baby's family, this is like pure degeneracy, like, who these are these people dancing having these sexy dances and then at night they all go stuck and then like right. what do you know happens yeah. she gets pregnant and then a guy basically nearly kills her by trying to abort it like i mean could it get any worse you know so um so i think that also i mean that's a really interesting device that the movie uses uh i don't think about this a lot but that it that sets up that also gives a kind of the moral framework that mm-hmm. like it doesn't really make so much of a judgment on abortion, but like it shows that baby will do anything to do the right thing, to save somebody's life, like to save someone's life. It doesn't matter what they did or how bad they are or how they got into the situation. Right. Her father follows right along. I think like a lot of, we, and we've already talked about him a lot, but like a lot of complicated Jewish characters does something opposite 
from what he wants because he knows what he has to do is the right thing, but what he wants is not really what's happening. So he thinks that this is all terrible, but he knows he has to save, to to save this life. And this also sets baby up. Like that's also kind of like one of those catalysts for the movie that sets baby off. It's sort of ridiculous that she is the one who has to dance anyway. I mean, the whole thing is very fantastical. There's like a thousand women in that room dancing. Oh yeah. And, and Johnny's like, they're all busy. (laughs) Like, what are they doing? They're (laughs) dancing. Like, (laughs) I think also for, you know, our baby character and we're trying to kind of shatter her innocence throughout the film, you know, the the film is exposing her on two points, you know, the sort of thrills of being, you know, very transgressive and doing these dancing, but it's also filling you in with the consequences. And I think it's definitely like shattering her illusion because this is something that she clearly hasn't dealt with. You know, she has conversations with her sister about both of them losing their virginity for the first time. And it's, they're very clearly in a very different space than these characters are, but it's also shatters the illusions about, you know, the Jewish community when it turns out this was Robbie and Robbie was like, where do you get off telling me what's right? You can't just leave her. Yeah, I, didn't I mean, blow a summer hauling toasted bagels just to bail out some little chick and probably ball every guy in the place. A little precision, please, baby. Some people count. Some people don't. Like there are people in the Jewish community who are terrible people are dealing, you know, in sex in this, you know, very, you know, sort of crude and unfair way. And it's just like, I think it's just showing us like, if this movie was just baby being exposed to look, there's a fun way to dance and you can defy your parents. Like it's her not being a baby anymore, but then she's entering this sort of like teenage angst, like, you know, we can fight back against our parents and that that's growth because she really is like this, you know, father loving child in the beginning of the movie, but it's not the same as her recognizing not only like the fun you can have being transgressive, but just sort of the weight of your actions. And, you know, that's furthered, obviously, when she's talking to Johnny about him, like losing his job. And he's like, I don't have anything. My dad doesn't accept me for my dancing. And it's like, you know, the, the film really gives us all sides of what it means to mature, I think, throughout the film. It is such a morally complex film and it's also so light and fun. Like Mm -hmm. I went through so many years of watching this every weekend with my girlfriends, not ever picking up on the moral complexity at all. Like just, wow, what a good time she's having. Lisa, she says, tonight's the night. And she's, and, and, but baby doesn't stop her, you know? So baby who's so concerned with doing the right thing. She goes, oh, Lisa, kind of like, I don't think you should, but she, but she can't say there's a lot of like, um, a lot of secrets in this too. Like, I can't say that. I can't say that Robbie is sleeping around. I can't say that he got Penny pregnant. I can't say that I'm sleeping with Johnny. I can't say that I just went and, and danced in like makeup and barely any clothes at this other hotel. Like all these things she can't say. I can't say that I saw this. I can't say that I saw that but I have to do the right thing. And that's really where the, I think the, the plot is just hurtling toward that she eventually has to be morally honest about everything. And that when she finally does show that moral clarity and honesty, that's when she sort of exposes everything as sort of being the opposite. It's kind of a Purim story in a way, like what you thought was good is kind of bad. And what you thought was bad, is kind of good. And everything is really confusing and we can only sort of hope for the best right yeah i was gonna tack on to what you two were saying about um robbie i believe there's a jewish housewife character who's kind of like her husband's away during the week and so she kind of like i think she's the one who hooks up with robbie at the end sort of what you were saying about like sexual relations sort of undercover or like sort of secret that i think she walks in lisa baby's sister walks in on robbie and and this older woman character 
This was yeah. all a great chat. I wanted to take a quick break and we'll then rate the film on one to five Jewish stores. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Jews on Film, everyone. Now we're going to shift to the uh, second part of the podcast of the conversation where we discuss and rate the film on its Jewishness. We're going to go through, as always, we're going to go through its content, its themes, the production of the actual film, and then hopefully come up with some final scores to, to talk about how Jewish it is. So Daniel, why don't you get us started this time? For sure. Thanks, Ari. I think from, I'll start with the cast and crew. I feel like Jennifer Grey, you know, comes from a Jewish background. You know, we have Jerry Orbach in the film, uh, Wayne Knight, who is, uh, you know, he plays um, Newman in Seinfeld. He's, he's like the comic as well. Patrick Swayze, I don't believe is Jewish or Penny, but you know, I think- uh, That makes and then, sense. And then the writer- the film. Yeah, totally. The writer is Jewish as well. And then from a Jewish content perspective, I feel like, you know, the film touches on a lot of Jewish ideas content wise. It's just someone, you know, spending summer camp at a Jewish resort and learning how to dance. So it's not like so Jewish in that way. Like there's subtle Jewish references, like you guys mentioned, you know, Sandy Colfax and Noshing. And if you know, you know, the last names and all that kind of stuff. And it takes place in the Catskills, a very Jewish location. Thematically, I feel like to me is the strongest area, you know, her selflessness, her dad's selflessness, the way that they are, like you said, Emily, Pikuach Nefesh, saving someone's life or, or Tikkun Olam, fixing the world or being a or Goyim, all the things you said, I feel like that is to me where the film sort of excels Jewishly, um, thematically. So overall, I probably have to say like a four out of five Jewish stars. Yeah. Emily, how about yourself? I, I think I agree with you. I really struggled when I was thinking about this, you know, because it's not overtly Jewish. Even subtle Jewish jokes like Mel Brooks kind of throws in that like, or even just like a Yiddish kind of like over the top thing. It's none of that's really there. It's funny because I, I was also looking up some articles like where Jewish writers talk about Judy dancing as a Jewish film, and I didn't even find them very convincing. Yeah, it's subtle. It's really, it's really the subtext of the film. It's the entire, it's the entire setting of the film that's Jewish. If you're not Jewish and you watch this, you can completely miss all of that. But it's, it really is there. It, and the American Jewish moment in history for me is very strong. Now that I know something about Jewish history and community, I see that a lot clearer now. And so, how do you think you would rate it on one to five Jewish stars? Oh gosh, using like cast and crew, content and themes as your sort of rubric. Somewhere between a three and a four, honestly, because again, like, I, I mean, go ahead and go back to like, what is a Jewish film? But like, you could watch this and just get a completely different message. You could watch this. I don't know what it's like to be, I don't know, maybe Latino, but be like, oh my gosh, this totally reminds me of like my child. I, I mean, who knows? Like maybe, maybe a lot of other cultures would relate to this from their own parents or grandparents generation and their shift uh, as they become more integrated into like the mainstream American society as an immigrant group or whatever, definitely not below a three. I think it's okay. very strong. Maybe but like a three and a half? I would three and a half stars. Okay. I mean, I feel Even like- Even though I did say it was the most Jewish movie of all time, I still right. do believe that. But <laughs> like exactly. on the empirical kind sure. of scientific analysis, right? I think the rating is closer, closer to like a, between a three and a four. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's some sort of universality of the film, but also a specificity that, you know, with the Jewish lens, you're able to see things. You have like sort of, it's like UV light or something, like certain angles or aspects of the film kind of come out when you shine that Jewish light on yeah. it. Harry, last but not least, no pressure. 
Uh, what did you think about the film? Oh, no, here I come. I'm going to change things up a little bit. Oh. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, you know, one of, the, one of the feedback I got, some people, you know, we have a lot of friends and family who have been listening to the podcast for thank the you. first couple thank of you. episodes. Thank, thank you to all you fans. Everybody. And some of the feedback I got is, you know, sometimes we don't disagree enough. And, you know, I, I find it hard to disagree with you, Daniel. I love a lot of the points you make. We always have mm. great guests. You know, Emily, you're part of that list now of great guests. It's hard to disagree with, but I think I'm going to come in hard on this one. Yes. I, I like the point that you said, Emily, about the, the subtext that this film is like the subtext of this film is so clearly Jewish. You know, talking about the production of it, you mentioned that, you know, the writer of the film, Eleanor Bergstein, you know, is, you know, is Jewish and clearly wrote that into the subtext for sure. Like it is there. I think everything we mentioned in this discussion, maybe some of the stretches were a little too stretchy. But beyond <laughs> that, I definitely think there's a Jewishness. The cast is Jewish. And this is a story about a Jewish family doing a very Jewish thing, going to the Catskills and, you know, feeling some anxiety over like Jewish, uh, like Jewish assimilation or Jewish, you know, intermarriage. And I think it's, it's so clearly there, except it's, it's not clearly there because Ooh. it's totally subtext. And I, Ooh. what was so, but you know, you're not the first person to tell us like Dirty Dancing is the most Jewish movie ever. And we've heard that from other guests. And I've heard that in conversations with people like, do you remember this movie? Oh yeah, it is so Jewish, but you know, like you were saying, reading reviews and stuff, I've heard about this movie. I, I had never seen it, but as someone who, you know, enjoys film, I, I've heard about this movie a ton of times and it is not remembered as a Jewish film, you know, not in the way that like Blazing Saddles, let's just say, is sure. like everyone knows that's a Jewish film, even as it's also a Western, even as it's all these other things. No one talks about Dirty Dancing like a Jewish film and it's moments. And I agree with you that nobody puts baby in the corner is a funny line because it doesn't really mean much to the rest of the movie. And it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, what does that mean to be in the corner? Like, I guess she was sidelined in that scene and she happened to be standing in a corner of the room. Yeah, but like, so random. It's, it's <laughs> so just, random. But, yeah. Yeah. And when people talk about the dancing and when people talk about the sort of cultural liberation and her learning to dance and, you know, like back, you know, pushing back against this cultural society, like that is all there, but it's just, it, it, you kind of exist outside the Jewishness. And I think from the Jews that we talk to that have a personal relationship with this movie and its Jewishness and through our lens, you know, I would give it a four out of five, a 4.5 out of five, but the movie kind of exists without being Jewish and it doesn't even use the word like Jews, Jewishness, sure. the word rabbis thrown around once I, I caught, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's there and I won't deny it. I'm not going to pretend like we didn't just uncover a lot of Jewishness in the movie. But I think the movie at itself is just not presenting itself as a Jewish film. It's not explicitly Jewish. You can absolutely watch this movie front to end and not even catch the Jewishness if you weren't, you know, watching it through that lens. So, But that's so Jewish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's some, I love that. There's something sort of meta and just like under the surface about, you know, slipping in that sort of subtext of Jewishness. But I'm going to give it, I'm not, I'm not going to go so far down, but I'm going to say two out of five Jewish stars. Okay. So there's that not, turn. There it it's is. not more Jewish than not, you know, it's a, it won't cross the, the two and a half, three line, but it's not absent. Obviously there's some Jewishness here. Obviously the cat skills, we talked about Sandy Koufax, but it's not really a Jewish film, you know, ultimately. No, I hear that. I mean, I hear the arguments for both and I can certainly see like how, one could see it as a Jewish movie and also not a Jewish movie that has Jewish undertones. I have Emily, to push back on one please. thing. Though. Like, have oh, you yes. guys ever been talking to somebody who you didn't know and you mentioned that you're Jewish and they're like, oh, I didn't know you were Jewish. Has that happened to you guys? Because you don't have like super Jewish. Like, it's, you know, I think all, all of us have names that can like. I'm bearded pass as and I have else. glasses. It's kind of, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I have a very Semitic like, look. <laughs> 
I, I, yeah, I have maybe. passed in the past. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And I mean, my, my maiden name is Keeler and I could totally, um, you know, get by without anybody knowing I was Jewish. And, um, but then you tell them that you're Jewish and then they go, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And you're kind of like, why? What? Like, what are you talking about? Like, should I be offended? Should I be flattered? And I feel like this movie is like that too. It's like, it's not Jewish, but then you're like, then you point out and you think about it. And then they're like, oh, that makes sense, right? It's like sort of that Kaiser Soze moment of like from Usual Suspects or like you, or, or, or Fight Club with the Tyler Durden reveal. But, you know, you have those like flashback <laughs> moments and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> right. um, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about if I had watched the movie, not in this context, you know, if someone had just shown it to me, I definitely think I would have said, oh, this is like a Jewish family in the Catskills. Like, oh, you know, the rabbi, like, but yeah. I don't think I would have left it saying, oh, yeah, that was like clearly a metaphor for, you know, Jewish anxieties around. No. I mean, you know, no, maybe I, I like I, I picked it up this time, but I don't know. I think overall this didn't feel like, you know, as Jewish in your face. And like, yeah, I mean, the, the proof is out there. You know, you read all the reviews of this. No one really talks about this. It's such a, a beautiful metaphor for the Jewish experience, you know, not in that same way. Yeah. No, no. If anything, it's the metaphor for the Jewish anxiety or the Jewish tension. Right. I also do love, though, that like it ends on a really nice note and, you know, nobody suffers too much at the end. Like it, it's sort of it does end on a nice note. Doesn't Robbie get water for Robbie. down his pants? Yeah. <laughs> Robbie. Yes. The villain. I about that. Yeah. <laughs> Baby like takes a pitcher of water and just is like, maybe she has found out that it was Robbie or maybe this is beforehand, but he does something to deserve like a whole pitcher of water down his pants. So he does yeah. get his comeuppance and the dad, like you mentioned, he does rip up the check. Yeah. For some reason, I guess he's giving Robbie money. I wasn't quite he sure, hurt. but he, he kind of yeah. like rips it up and just throws it and everyone just starts dancing and fun times are had. It really is like such a perfect kind of like tying of, of the, of the loose ends at the end of the movie. But yeah, I mean, listen, I watch it probably every weekend for most of my like teen years. And I never picked up on, I really never picked up on the Jewish elements. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you have a really good point. And I think it's really funny that neither of you knew anything about the movie until like last week, but well, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I'd heard of the movie in passing, but I had never no, thought of it. Yeah, like no, I said, no, no, count. <laughs> I was, I was waiting the whole time for the big leap, the leap and carry. I've seen that moment. I've seen yeah. it. to wait to the last, like the credit. They really kept rolling. me waiting, but you know yeah. what? Right, I, felt, right. I felt like I earned it by the end of it. I'm like, I earned this moment. I struggled with these characters. Like, <laughs> you, you sat so through affecting. all those montages of her exactly. clumsily dancing. You're like, all right, I got to see this exactly. leap of faith actually happen. Emily Elhadif, thank you so much for being here on Jews on Film to talk about one of the most Jewish films of all time, apparently, <laughs> Dirty Dancing. <laughs> Emily, is there anything you'd like to plug? First of all, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I write a substack for the Seattle Jewish community. It's called The Cholent. You can find it at thecholent.substack.com and you can subscribe. Please subscribe. Um, newsletters come out just about every Friday with news mostly about the community here, but also about events in the, in the wider Jewish world. I'll put a link to the podcast in this week's newsletter or whenever this goes. And I also have my own podcast on the Colin app, which is a live, a live podcasting, a live social podcasting app. And you can actually call in with questions. And that one is called while you were sleeping in Hebrew school. And that is a place where I try to address basic Jewish concepts that a lot of us miss because we weren't paying attention in Hebrew school. Fantastic. Those sound like awesome resources. I've definitely read The Chillin' a few times and uh, you've had some awesome stories in there. Harry, anything to plug this week? Keep listening to this podcast. If you made it to this point, you probably already are. But, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe and 
just wait till next Thursday when next week's comes out and listen to that as soon as you can. Totally. Oh, we have uh, Jews on Film stickers coming soon. So if you live in the Seattle area and you're listening to this podcast, come find us in a non-creepy way and ask us about stickers and we can hook you up. But uh, yeah, Harry, Emily, Harry, you're always here. But Emily, th- thanks Thank for being you. here. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time and uh, have a good one. Have a good Thank evening. Thank you so much, guys. See you later. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> Jews on Film is hosted and produced by Daniel Zana and Harry Ottensaucer. Daniel Zana edited this episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film and subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes. Thanks for listening.